0: I'm excited for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Before I begin, let me pray, though. Um, Lord, thank you. Uh, God, thank you for another year. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, that us who are here have been blessed just with another year to serve you, to love you, to be devoted to you. And so, Lord, we just. Thank you for the privilege to be able to gather here on this day. Um, so we just come, and uh, we, we focus in on your word right now, Lord. We ask Jesus that you give us clarity, help us to understand your word, um, and we just pray for your presence to be here with us, uh, and we just thank you so much that you are here with us. And so we say all of this in your mighty name, amen. All right, so... <clears throat> um, sorry, the iPad was dying. <laughs> uh, when the new year rolls around, we tend to kind of have like a, like a motivated or excited perspective, right, on the year. So we get the lists out, we make, we, you know, we, I'm gonna do this this year, and we're gonna do this, and maybe it's the same thing sometime as last year because we didn't do it. You know, so but we get excited every year. This is why we do the parties, the New Year's parties, why we gather and we celebrate, right? But we like it because it feels like a clean slate, like in prayer uh, this morning, Phil, Ken, everyone was praying this beautiful prayer of like the New Year's reminds us of this fresh start, this clean slate um, that we have with with the years. like, okay, all right, this year, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to be more of this. I'm going to be more of this. And we feel very excited and very motivated, right? And I think that's beautiful because coming out of Christmas, right, the message of Christmas is, hey, there's this salvation that's offered in Jesus who came or who was God incarnate, Jesus the Messiah, and bought this salvation for you. And now New Year's is kind of this this other side of the coin. Like, all right, now that you have... This salvation, well, what does the life look like on that side, right? You came out of, uh, your, you know, your, your way of living before Jesus, you come to Jesus, and now you're given new life, well, what does that look like, right? Because I think sometimes we can, you know, things like our life, like we have the same job, right? We have the same, like things in our life aren't necessarily changed, but we ourselves are changed, and now we have to approach life differently. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about that other side of salvation that Christmas points to. Right? We're gonna talk about the new life that we've been given in salvation and what that looks like in the life of a believer. And so we are going to be in Romans chapter six, so you guys can start turning there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a physical one in front of you or it'll be on the screen if I remember to push the button, uh, because I'm terrible at it, (laughs) but Luke in the back will get me. So, as you guys are turning there, we're gonna be in Romans six, we're gonna be in verses one through 14, we're gonna read that whole chunk, Um, but we're gonna be focused mostly on Romans uh, six, one through four, but I wanna give some brief context before we dive in, because the book of Romans is a long like essay that, Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, and basically he's just giving, like, he's giving it all. He's like, this is how you get saved. This is what justification is. This is what it means to be in Jesus. This is this, 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 and this. He's giving a systematic overview of the entire gospel. It's one of the most comprehensive theological books of the entire New Testament, and it's a beautiful book. Um, But in chapter 5... The chapter right before chapter six, Paul is kind of hammering this idea of uh, salvation is only received through faith. He gives all these examples in chapter four about Abraham, how he received the promise by faith even before there was a law. And then in chapter five, he's making this this argument that Adam, the one who sinned in the garden, kind of we were all credited with his sin. So now all like death spread to all people, and sin spread to all people by one man's disobedience. And then he goes on and says, "In the same way, because of Christ's obedience, all people are justified through Christ by faith." And he gives that argument, and he's kind of talking about it. And so he pretty much ends the chapter with, "Where sin abound, grace abound all the more." Right? We've heard that before, right? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we love that verse, right? Where sin abound, grace abound all the more. But in chapter 6, Paul anticipates a question that his readers might have, and I think that the Holy Spirit thinks that we might have too. Like we kind of have a temptation to have this, this, this question. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, um, what, sh- what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so there's this, he's asking it rhetorically. He's like, I'm going to assume you're going to ask this question because I just said where sin abound, grace abound all the more. So naturally in our fallen nature, we, we kind of like to find loopholes to kind of justify our actions or our desires or, if we're honest, our sin, Right? And so our flesh would love that. Oh, I could just sin and grace. Oh, beautiful. Like, there we go. I just, that makes sense. I like that, right? Paul is like, uh, no, I'm going to give you a whole reason. Like, I'm going to give you like a bunch of reasons on why that's not the case, right? And so everything that we're going to read and talk about is in response to that question of like, because grace abounds do we continue in sin do we continue to purposely sin and live a life of sin in the new life of christ so that we can almost kind of like manipulate god's grace right and so paul is going to talk about that and it's all going to apply to this whole new life that we are to live because i mean before jesus we're just operating in sin whether we know it or whether we admit it or not we just are there's not really much say there's no other option but here in the new life, there's, there's a different option now. And so, you can stand if you want. Uh, I mean, yeah, why not? Let's stand. <laughs> I'll make you guys. If you want, if you're able. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to like... <laughs> if you're able. All right, so Romans chapter 6. Well, see, I forgot to put... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. All right, you guys just sit. It's funny how you guys wait for me to sit. All right, so... Chunky passage, very, very meaty, very good stuff here. So we are going to talk about it, right? So Paul gives two elements, two main elements, not the only elements, but two main elements of this new life that we have in Christ. And we're going to unpack them. And then we're going to talk about how these two elements kind of center on one point of of knowledge and beauty and wonder that is just beautiful, right? And so we're gonna start off with the first element, and that is freedom from sin, right? Paul says that we have been freed from sin, that sin will no longer have dominion over you. You've been freed and you're no longer enslaved to sin, right? So this is a foundational truth to Christianity and to what it means to walk with Jesus. This is, this is the thing that characterizes every person who has ever believed in Jesus throughout all of history and all of time. That we are people freed from sin. But we hear that all the time, right? We hear that, we just sang No Longer Slaves, that's a beautiful song, and we, and we sing it, but what does that actually mean to be free from sin? Because you might have an idea of that that might differ from someone else, right? And I think a lot of us sometimes hear freedom from sin to mean no longer sinning anymore, right? We think, okay, if I, am, if I am free from something, then I no longer do that thing, right? I'm free from that. And so I think we need to really unpack what this means. So let us consider a few passages here, and you'll see them on the screen. If I remember to click the Nope. There you go. Oh, Luke, you got me, bro. You got it. <laughs> All right. So, Colossians chapter one, verse thirteen, this is what he says, Paul. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And I want you to pay attention to the verbiage, to to the words that Paul uses. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Romans chapter 6, later on in chapter 6, verse 20, Paul goes on to say, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. He means that, like, when you were enslaved to sin, it didn't matter what the righteous requirement was. You didn't care. There was no need for you to obey it because you didn't care about it. You were enslaved to sin. There was no option. But he says, What fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So what does it mean to be free from sin? What does that mean? To be free from sin simply means to be free from the domain or rule or bondage of sin in your life. Like, you are no longer in that domain, right? And so in our culture, we have this fascination with individualism. We love to be individuals, and we love, like, to be totally autonomous. Like, like if you really look at kind of what the culture promotes in individualism, it is this, this wanting to be completely and totally autonomous from any type of authority or say from anyone else. Like the only thing that matters is your opinion. And that is the primary definition of truth. And you don't have to listen to anyone else. Everyone else is just, you can take it or leave it. It doesn't matter if they're correcting you or if you think something is right and it's wrong and someone corrects you, it doesn't matter, right? This is the individualism that's promoted in our culture. But the scripture has a very different view on, on this. There are only two domains to operate in as humans. Only two. The domain of darkness or the domain of the sun? Righteousness or sin? There is no middle, there is no like middle ground, right? There's no autonomous space where you can kind of not be anything. Like you are either sinful or you are righteous. You are either a part of the kingdom of darkness. And Satan, or you are part of the kingdom of God and Christ the Son. And that's, that's hard for some people, like, because it's like, I don't, I don't believe in any of that. <laughs> so how am I a part of any of that? Well, it's true. It's true. Like, people only operate in two domains. And so to be free from sin means that, like, like, that passage was saying is you are, you have been transferred from the domain that you were operating in, darkness, sin, slavery to your passions and your lusts, all of that stuff, slavery to your natural sinful inclinations, you've been transferred from that to the domain of the sun. And so what is interesting about this passage is you, being free from sin does not mean that you are free um, from no obligation. Like you are not free with no obligations now. Does that make sense? Like I think sometimes when we think of okay, I've been free from the slavery of sin and the domain of sin, I'm not now. I'm just like I can just make up the rules and I'm okay. It's like no, no, no. You've been transferred from one domain to a different domain. Your your master switched, right? So. You had a terrible taskmaster who was sin, who beat you down, and provided terrible food for you, and promised you things that they would never uh, fulfill, and would play around with your heart, play around with your mind, and pretty much abuse you, right? And you've been now transferred to a different kingdom, to the kingdom of the Son, who loves you and cherishes you and sees you as his treasure, right? And so this is important for us to understand because I think that um, as Christians, we tend to think that because we sin, we are not free. And there are many things that will pop up in those times of feelings, right? So maybe you'll feel shame. Maybe shame will pop up like when you you know, pop off at somebody at the store or something, and they're, you know, it's like, oh gosh, like, am I even a Christian? Like, I just told this person that, or whatever. You know, or we do something, or we say something, or we engage in something that we know is bad and it's sinful, and then we have this voice in the back of our head saying, you're not free. You think you're free, but you're not free from that, right? It's a tactic also of the enemy to accuse. And to say, yeah, yeah, you you believe that you're free, and that's a nice little, that's a cute doctrine, but when it comes down to it, you're not, you're not actually free. You you still are enslaved to me. And he will tell, and he will berate you with that, constantly. And it is his nature to accuse you. He is a, the, the accuser of the brethren. This is why Jesus is our advocate, right? This is important, like, and Jordan, my wife, gave a great uh, illustration of this. I didn't know this, and I looked it up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is true. Wow. Um, so farmers, like people, who, uh, farmers who have cattle, like cows and stuff like that, they buy these gates, cattle gates, and they're specifically designed to keep cows from like just wandering off and just <laughs> doing their own thing, right? It's like, okay, you're going to be safe, and you're going to just stay here, <laughs> right? And sometimes, they, they have these bars that go across, and they're, they're in a, like, ditch. But sometimes farmers don't want to spend all the money on the gate, so what they'll do is they'll paint the lines on the ground. And for the cow, it's like, uh-oh, there's a thing there. I'm not going over there. And so, like, there's no gate, but there's this illusion that there is a gate. And so it keeps, it keeps the cattle there. It keeps the cattle in. And my wife was making this awesome connection with being freed from sin. Like, we're free from Jesus, we're out of the cage of our slavery to sin, but we engage in sin, or we we mess up, or we fall short, we do something, and the enemy comes along and he convinces us, hey, there's still a cage there. You see the lines? You're still in the cage. And God is like, no, you're not. Like, what are you talking about? There's no gate. Right, And so that, that is the temptation. And so this is why this is important for us to understand what does it mean to actually be free from sin. One commentator, as I was reading about this, said, it's common knowledge that Christ died for us, but it's not so well known that we died in him. This is an important aspect as we talk about freedom from sin and as what we're going to talk about later, but freedom from law the aspect that when you chose to follow Jesus, you didn't just convert to a set of ideas. You didn't just convert to a different religion. Or maybe you were atheist and now you're a religious person. Like, you die. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, you died. You, like, you were brought into Christ's death and you shared in his death so that you can then live a new life. Right? And Jesus would say in the Gospels, he says it like this, he says if you would save your life, you're going to lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will save it. And so there's this upside down kingdom mentality where the only way that you gain anything in the kingdom is if you lose. Jesus also said like the greatest among those are the least of these. Right? So like In the kingdom, this is the mentality that we have to have. When when Jesus is inviting us into relationship with him, he's inviting us to share in his life, but he invites us first to share in his death. This is why he says, you gotta deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Because you gotta lay everything down. You gotta lay everything down that you believe life should be. It needs to die. And along with that will be your sin, along with that will be all of your, your message, you know, all that stuff will die so that you can live. And and that is what it means to actually come into the salvation um, that is offered in Christ. Now, this is hard to grasp, right? I think a lot of us struggle with this because, again, we know the depths of our sin and and especially... Coming to Jesus, we see it very more clearly. Like, we're a lot more aware of our sinful tendencies. Right? We're not like, we, we're not just skating by like we used to. Like, it's like you do something, you're like, oh my gosh, like I just saw myself do that. And so, it, it is actually, and, and my wife said this too, it's a humbling experience to receive grace. You have to humble yourself. And then she goes on, I'm quoting my wife like she's the commentator, right? (laughs) She goes on and says, I just thought it was so good. Like, we were just driving. She's like, walking in freedom, and this this is important. Walking in freedom means that we understand Jesus has now given us stability and a firm foundation. He is our rock, and he is our safe pasture. I thought that was beautiful, right, like he is our safe pasture, like when you, when you read Psalm 23 and it says the Lord leads me besides quiet waters and he leads me in green pastures, he's talking about the salvation that he's given to you in Christ, the salvation in God. You now have a broad place to be a little lamb, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and roam around, right? but you also have a very solid, firm foundation. The ground is no longer cracking under your feet and crumbling towards death. You have a firm foundation. And so that's what it means to be, fir- or, uh, to be free from sin. And that's one element that Paul is getting at in, in chapter six. And in verse six, he would even go on and say, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's that word again, enslaved. So we're no longer enslaved to sin. Now we're enslaved to God. And just some, I just want to clarify that the word slave that he's using is a Greek word called doulos, and it means bondservant. It's not the slavery that we're thinking of when we think of you know, the terrible things that happened during the slavery you know, in America and stuff. Like This is talking about a servant who is dedicated to a household. Lifelong, forever, right? That's, that's what that word enslaved means. And so we're no longer slaves of sin, we're slaves of God. So we're free from sin, right? And that's a beautiful thing. And we can walk in that freedom by realizing and remembering that we are on a firm foundation. And now we walk on a firm foundation. We may stumble on the foundation, but the foundation is still there. The foundation doesn't change. Christ isn't gonna let you stumble, you know, through the foundation, like it's, it's firm, right? The second thing is freedom from law. This one's gonna be interesting, right? Not only has Christ, in, in the life in Christ, not only have we been delivered from our bondage and captivity to sin, but we've also been delivered from our bondage and captivity to the law, very specifically the law of Moses. Now, some of you are probably like, wait a minute, the law is good, and it was given by God. What do you mean? How is that, how was I enslaved to that, or how was I captive under that? That's a good thing. Sin is bad. The law was good. How am I captive under that? Well, we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit with some passages here, and I want to start with um, Luke chapter 4. So, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, this is actually really powerful. Jesus starts his earthly ministry. And the way he starts it is he walks into a synagogue, which is a Jewish place of worship. And because Jesus is a teacher and a rabbi, he's given the scroll of Isaiah and basically said, all right, preach today, bro. <laughs> Go preach. So Jesus opens the scroll and he turns to a specific Isaiah passage. And, he's gonna, and this is what it says. Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That was his sermon. He's like, all right, here you go. Boom. The eyes of all the synagogue was fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is a powerful thing, because Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61, which is a messianic uh, prophecy of the Messiah, basically saying, The Messiah, this is what he's going to do. And the people that Jesus is talking to are waiting for their Messiah. That's why why they're gathering in the synagogue, to be reminded, hey, there's a Messiah coming. And then Jesus, who is the Messiah, walks in, opens to the Messianic passage, reads it, and says, boom, it's fulfilled. I am your Messiah. And then they go on and they crucify him, right? So, because they didn't believe it. But, what Jesus is saying in this passage is, is, is profound. Um, he says, to proclaim good news to the poor, right? Who, who is the poor that he's talking about? Is it just people with no money? No. Like, the poor is you. The poor is me. The, the poor is the person without Jesus. We are poor without him. Why? Because anything that we have in this life, if we do not have Jesus, it is going to fade away. You will have nothing. And we can accumulate stuff here, but without Christ, we are poor. He says, I've come to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. Who's he talking about? You and me. Without Jesus, we are oppressed. Why? Because we are enslaved to a terrible taskmaster, sin. Again, who offers things that, that do not fulfill, who makes promises that don't exist, right? Terribly oppressed. Jesus came to give, to give liberty to them. But he also says um, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who, who is the captive person? we are. To what? To sin? Yes, we are, we are captive to sin, but we're also captive to the law of God. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 3, 21 is a key passage in understanding this, in understanding our freedom from the law. Chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, there's your enslavement to sin, so that the promise of faith might, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before this faith came, we were held captive under the what? Law. Imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God. So this passage is saying, there, again, there's, there's two things happening. We're captive to the sin, but we're also captive to the law. How are we captive to the law if it was good? Like God gave that to us so that we could have relationship with him. Have you tried to live up to 613 commandments? We struggle holding up to 10, right? There's 613 commandments. Read all of Leviticus. Bro, there ain't no way we're holding up to that, right? I'm sorry, but that's just what it is. This is why in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17, God gives the day of atonement because he knew that the people wouldn't be able to hold up to the law. The point was never that they would be able to obey it perfectly. The, The point was that they would be able to see that they cannot and that they need God. They need him to provide salvation. They can't earn it. They can't do it themselves. And actually, all of it was to point to what the Messiah would eventually do, which would be the grand total atonement of all humanity, right? And so... Though the law was good and holy and righteous, we were held captive to it because it had a very uh, high standard. What's the standard? Perfection. you got to be perfect if you want to hold up to that law. There's only one person who could do that, Jesus, which is actually how he frees us from this captivity. How does Jesus free us from the captivity of the law? He lives the law and obeys it perfectly for you, right? So we talk a lot about imputing righteousness, right? Christ imputes his righteousness to us, but what that righteousness is is his upholding of the law. Jesus lived a perfect life in submission to God, and when we come to him, he actually gives us the benefits of that. He says... All right, you don't need to live up to the law anymore. Like, you've been released from that demand because now you're in me. I I lived up to that law. I obeyed it. You don't have to anymore. You just need to abide in me. That's all you gotta do. And everything else, all the work that you do for me will come from that place. And so here's a few passages to help us understand. Matthew 5, uh, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All right, so Jesus didn't, uh, because people, the Jewish people, when Jesus would come and he would say, you know, you, he would work on the Sabbath or something and encourage his disciples to do so too, the religious leaders would be like, uh, that's blasphemy, that's terrible. You guys are, what are you doing? Why are you eating on the Sabbath, you know? Like, all this stuff. And Jesus, you know, there would be confrontation. So Jesus makes it clear, hey, I've not come to abolish the law. I'm not trying to take the law away. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to actually live it out for you, who are failing to do so, right? Because we are incapable. Romans chapter 3, 31, do do we then overthrow the law by faith? And that's just what it comes down to. Like, okay, we enter salvation through, uh, by grace through faith, so then do we now overthrow the law? Is that, like, just totally tossed out the window? Does it have any say in our life anymore? And it's like, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So by us having faith in Christ who upheld the law, we uphold the law. Does that make sense? Right? You have faith that Christ upheld the law for you, and you are in Christ. You upheld the law. Not on your merit, but because of Christ. And this is the freedom from the law, which is something that we do not understand, right? Because we live in a culture that is earn your success and earn your everything, right? You need to earn it. If you want something, you earn it or you don't get it, right? We're taught that very young. If you want something, you got to earn it, right? And that's a good thing. I mean, like we don't want just people who are like expecting stuff to be given to them like walk into Starbucks and, "Hey, give it to me." It's like, "Bro, you got to give the money." Like, what are you talking about, right? And then we got to earn the money to give, right? But the mentality, that mentality then crosses over into our faith with Jesus. And it's hard for us to grasp the idea that you don't earn with Jesus. You, you do not earn your righteousness, you can't. Jesus earned your righteousness. Jesus got it for you. All you need to do is accept that he's done it and you need to do the work of abiding in him and so these are two beautiful elements of, that characterize the new life. And sometimes it's difficult for us to operate in them. But I think it's sometimes difficult to operate in them because we kind of miss the point of them. So these two things kind of center in on one key thing. And Paul says it. He says, For if we have been united with Christ in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. That word, united, union with Jesus, is key in being able to apply these things. Key, absolutely key. Um, Because if we are not in Christ, who's going to be living up to the law? We are trying to. We're going to be trying to live up to law. Who's going to be still enslaved to sin? We will still be enslaved to sin. We will still, like, if Jesus is not in the picture, if we are not joined or united to Jesus, then all of this falls apart. The whole thing collapses. And so union with Christ is the absolute key in having this to be uh, uh, applicable in your life. And so... Let's look at a few passages here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He said, not only have you been made alive, but you've been seated with Christ in heavenly place. That's union. That's unity with the Son of God. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, Jesus speaking from his own mouth, I am the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing nothing. The key point is union with Christ is the whole point of salvation. Relationship with Jesus, but relationship in the point of being united, tied, tethered to him so that his righteousness becomes your righteousness. His sonship becomes your sonship, right? His glory will eventually become your glory. We will share in a death like his so we can share in a resurrection like his, union with Christ so the new year right new year we make a bunch of stuff we do a lot of lists <laughs> I was just talking with Dawson outside I hate lists <laughs> right? we do all these things we, we say okay I will not do this I will do better at this I'll do better at this I think, I think maybe what most of us need this year is just one thing to remember that we are united with Christ because everything else will flow from that union with him. That's what I need this year. That's what you need, to be reminded and to be not only reminded but encouraged and motivated and excited that you are united with the Son of the living God. God himself is united with you. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit where, I mean, I don't know if you, like, are grasping the intensity of that. Like, the spirit that dwelled in a holy place in a temple where someone would die if they walked in now dwells in you as a Christian. You have become the temple of God. That is union with Christ, unity with Jesus. And so I encourage you guys... uh, as I'm going to do this year, make it your ambition. Make it your goal to, to know the depths of your unity with Christ. If you, if you need a New Year's resolution, if you need one, let it be that. I will devote myself to understanding my unity with Christ. I will devote it. Like, and then once you are like figuring it out and you're recognizing it, Preach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself, out loud if you have to. right? So you can override the voice in your head that is telling you, the enemy is accusing you, you're not free from sin, you're not free from your work, you're not free to do this, you're not free. you got to preach out loud to yourself the reality of your freedom in Christ and your unity with him. And so to help you do that this week, Let's all read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's beautiful. And look for the themes of like new life, new. Um, We're going to read Ezekiel 37, a beautiful messianic prophecy about new life that we would receive in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, which is all about our freedom from the law. Read those. Dig in. Dig into to understanding your unity with Christ. Pray that God would open your eyes to see the life that you have in his son. Apply. As you look out at the new year, allow the truth of God's word to motivate you towards a deeper devotion to Christ. And because that's really honestly what it is. Why do I want to understand my devotion with Christ, my unity with Christ? So I can be more devoted to him this year, right? So instead of making a, 20 long, 20 thing long list of like do better, pray better, read more, do this, do that. How about I just focus on I'm united in Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like? All that other stuff will come naturally. Obviously, it takes work. I'm not saying you know, but but if it's flowing from a place of understanding your union with Christ, it's going. You're going to want to do it. It's not going to be. Uh, like a stretch for you to open your Bible and read. You're going to be like, yes. Like, I want to know. I want to do it. So let me pray. I feel like I've been talking for a long time. My mouth is all dry. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. That you... Unite us to yourself. God, and I just really want us to be encouraged. Like, if there's nothing else that we've taken away from the sermon, may it be that you have united us with you in your life, in your resurrection, in your death, your glory, your suffering. We are united with you. And Jesus, I just pray, God, that as we Start this new year, Lord. Whatever it looks like, you know, whatever our expectations are, whatever we're dealing with, you know, maybe we're excited about the new year, maybe we're really not looking forward to it because we have some stuff, you know, that's coming up that we're not excited about, God. Um, would, would you just help us to be focused on, your, on the glory of your Son, on our unity with Him? That, Lord, nothing is accomplished for you or in our life outside of Christ. So, Jesus, would you help us to abide in you? Help us to um, to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And and help us to be able to walk in the freedom that you've given us from sin and from a works-based mentality that through grace, we have been given salvation, and we can maintain that by continuing to have faith in a, in a Christ who has provided a firm foundation to us. And so we ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, Otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.